Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. As you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a story, and it's a true story, believe it or not. I know you might think that it sounds, oh, that can't be real. But I was uh, in the gym the other day, and that's a, that's a part that yeah, you might not think is real. I went to the gym, and it wasn't because they had free pizza night, okay? I was there before the first of the year. So anyway, so I'm, I'm in the gym, and I'm on a treadmill. An interesting thing happened, and I'm listening to the word as it's going in my uh, earbuds, and I'm you know, just walking around, and all of a sudden you hear this ding, 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 ding. The fire alarm's going off. I kid you not, it was louder than anything. And everybody, all of a sudden you see his heads pop up. You know that game you play at the carnival, heads pop up and you hit them back down, boom, boom. That's what it looked like because I'm kind of elevated above everybody. And so the alarm's going off, and people's heads are popping up, and they're doing this. And I look, there's a gal, two treadmills down from me, and we look at each other and like that, and everybody's just going, and they go back to what they're doing. And the alarm continues to go off. And I'm looking around, looking outside. And look, I got to tell you why I didn't leave. It took more than a fire alarm to get me in there. So I was going to take an act of God to get me out of there. So I'm waiting. I mean, look, I'm ready to run. I got, there's an exit there. There's an exit there. And I'm ready to go in case there's a fire or something. But I don't smell anything except the flesh burning, you know. And it wasn't burning because of a fire. But it was interesting that I, as I was looking at this, these heads bopping up, turning around like this, and everybody going back to their business over there, same thing. They were looking around. Nobody was really alarmed. But isn't that like the children of Judah right here? This is what they're like. They're hearing this word that's coming into their ears, but they're just not really alarmed by it. And then all of a sudden, as we'll see as we go through it, Troubles will come. They'll say, what about us? Or why me? Or why are we going through this? They'll say, hey, I'll cry out to God, but it'll be superficial. And all these things take place. And it's like, you know, there are alarms that are going off today. And I pray that we would have ears to hear. I mean, you know, it's just not a gym theory. But it reminds me of so much of what Judah's going through right here, that their heads might be popping up, but they're really just going and prodding right along with the things that are going on. And they're just going about their day as if nothing has ever happened. And so here in Jeremiah 13 and 14, we're going to look at a couple of what I call Old Testament, OT parables. So where the Lord is telling Jeremiah, you're going to take something physical, bring it along something that I'm telling you, so that they'll get a picture, hopefully, of what what they're seeing because they're not listening with their eyes. I mean, Ezekiel has done the same thing. The Lord had him do some remarkable, uh, some interesting, I should say, things so that the people might... See, you know, you can tune things out, but you can't. When you see something, it kind of plugs in there. I mean, you know, Elaine might tell me, hey, take out the trash. And I'm like, the game is on. I heard her, but I wasn't listening, you know. Sometimes that's the way it is that we can hear things, but we're not really paying attention. But with our eyes, when we see something, man, it's kind of engaged in there. And so that's what the Lord is telling Jeremiah to do. Uh, they're, they're not listening. Maybe they'll see this, and the Lord knows that they're not going to, but give them this visual so that they can see what I'm trying to tell them. Maybe they'll pay attention. And so this this means of communication is there to uh, arouse a curiosity, you know, and the interest of those who are unresponsive in the, in their uh, uh, their attendance. They're just there. Kind of, duh. Just there. Is there an alarm going off? 
And much like uh, uh, Jeremiah is going to do what some of the other prophets, like I said, Isaiah was told to do, Ezekiel, Hosea, they were told to do some pretty interesting things to try and grab the attention of the people. So the prophet here, Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet. And, and because of what he's receiving from the Lord, I mean, he's getting it firsthand. You, it's one thing to see something. You know, you do see something. You see the nation that we live in. You see the world that's going on around us. You say, man, this is crazy. But then if you read the judgment, you know, here's what they're going to have going towards them. If they don't turn, if they don't watch it, this is what's going to come. And you, you, it begins to penetrate your heart. And then it, then you got to be the one, like Jeremiah is, the one who's going to take that word out to them and be the one who's standing upon the truth, speaking the truth in love, and it causes Jeremiah, not only Jeremiah, to hear these things and weep, but it, you can hear the heart of God weeping. This is people that belong to him. He rescued them out of the world. And now they're living this way, and they're where they're in flat-out rebellion. They're serving idols. And, and he just so desires them to walk with him. So he wants us today. Imagine all the people that are out there that are just aimlessly walking around. They're fighting over things they don't even know what they're fighting about. But he's, he says, listen, there's something more important that I have sent my son to die for you. Die for the sins of the world. And so imagine the responsibility that Jeremiah has because there's chaos that's going on around him. And for many years, and I don't know how many years it's been since he was called. It's called a young, young man. And he's called in the ministry from a priest to a prophet. Remember, he goes from that organized duties to all of a sudden you got to hear from the Lord every day. And he's been doing this for many years and he's been giving out the word of God. He's been faithful time after time, year after year, message after message. And they haven't listened to what he's been saying and he's still to remain faithful. So let's look at verse one as we pick it up. And it says, thus says the Lord, uh, thus the Lord said to me, go and get yourself a linen sash and put it around your waist and do not put it in the water. And so I got a sash according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, Take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist, and arise and go to the Euphrates and hide it there in a hole in the rock. So I went and hid it uh, by the Euphrates uh, as the Lord had commanded me. Now it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the sash which I commanded you to hide there. And then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the sash from the place where I had hidden it. And there was the sash ruined. It was profitable for nothing. And so the exact place, you know, when you think about the Euphrates, some people, uh, a lot of people disagree with the, the place of, you know, the location of it. And I don't think that's the important thing. I think the important thing here is the sash. The emphasis is on what happened to the sash when it was buried. And the sash or girdle, some of your, maybe the old, King James might tell you it's a girdle, it's a sash, it's a priestly garment. And it's something that a priest would wear. Uh, Jeremiah would be walking around with a sash on, and to not have it would be, hey, what's going on? It might be people thinking, what are you doing? And to then to have it on and put it back on when it's all tethered, they're really saying, okay, now what's going on? So, you know, it's again, it's this picture here of a priest that has a part of his article that one time it's missing and the next time when he retrieves it, it is totally just annihilated. It's ruined for all get up. And so he takes his sash, buries it, does exactly what the Lord tells him to do. And as he digs it up, 
he finds that the elements around it that it's been exposed to have made it completely useless. The garment is rotted. Verse 8, we see it says, And the the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, In this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my word, who follow the dictates of their hearts, and walk after other gods, and to serve them and worship them, uh, shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. And usually what happens is when you put something and burying it, burying it so far in the world, that's the way it's going to happen. It's going to deteriorate. But the condition was like, their condition was like the condition of this garment. Their, their spiritual condition. They laid in the elements and it had gotten weather beaten so bad that it was useless. It was no longer fit for use. It was no longer to be uh, used for what it, you know, had the uh, potential of being used for. And, and, and one, one thing though you got to keep in mind is though it had deteriorated, it still existed. And that's, that's a, that's the grace of God. I mean, it could have just deteriorated altogether. It's much like Judah. It's a picture of Judah. Kind of worthless now. They're not walking with God. They've, they're, they've been attached and buried themselves in the elements of the world. And, and their, the whole purpose, their purpose of being, of existing has deteriorated. What are you going to do? If you're going to be so much like the world that you're no heavenly value, you know, God can't use you. You're so plugged into the world. And, and this is what the children of Israel are like. And so this picture is what it is. They refuse to hear God's word in verse 10. It points that out. And it wasn't that the Lord hadn't spoken. We know that time and time again we hear him saying, thus saith the Lord, Jeremiah, tell him that I'm telling him this. So we know that Jeremiah has heard from the Lord and he has spoken to them concerning the word of the Lord, but they flat out close their ears. I understand this after seeing this time and time again, that when backsliders slide so far back, it's embarrassing right? It's embarrassing. And what they don't want to do is they don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that because it's embarrassing. Can you imagine leaving a church, leaving a, leaving a fellowship, and then all of a sudden you, you just get the muck of the world on you and you think, because it's not true, but you, at least it's not true here. You think that by coming back, they're going to look at you cross-eyed. They're going to, you know, oh, I got something bone to pick about you. Or they, you know, where did you go? I heard you were out. I mean, that's what the devil wants people to think. But the act of the church should be to welcome them back, right? By the grace of God, we're just going to welcome them back. They're repenting. They're coming back to the Lord. And that's the goal. But they don't want to hear. And then here's the problem with Judah is they flat out are closing their ears to everything. See, it, verse 10 also tells us something that's very dangerous. It says they followed the dictates of their own heart. That's pretty dangerous. You guys ever see what's in my heart? Nope. But I'm thankful. Your own hearts. If we were left to our own demise, the Bible says that there are, no, not one that is good, right? No, not one. And so we look at our own lives. We look at the things that if we are left to ourselves, it's like crazy. And of course, this thing was going to happen, you know, this, this, uh, leaving ourselves to ourselves when we don't listen to God. And we're going to be left to our flesh and, and then, you know, we're running on our, on our own power and we're running to our own makeup, our own minds and whatever our hearts desire, the dictates of our own heart. That's dangerous. Not only dangerous, it's scary. I mean, if we're left to follow what we want to follow, that's why Paul said, I die daily. I think it's important for us to realize that. So being right with God for them, and it's the same for any one of us. It doesn't mean that 
you know, we're going to have a chip inserted on our the day we're born again. Okay, where's that chip? Now all of a sudden, you know, I get downloaded this born again, new characteristics. I have his image and all this stuff. We need his word. That's what's downloaded. So we have this brain washed. This brain needs to be washed. Your brains need to be washed. And we have these thoughts of where we come into the world from. And we come in with these ways that we need to have our, our mind washed by the water of his word. And so we come in with this idea, not to be, we're not going to be instantaneously transformed, but we're being renewed by the, by the, by our minds as we wash our minds in the water of God's word. And so that gets us right. It helps gets us right. And then the, the power of the Holy Spirit to live our lives. So important. The power of the Holy Spirit and His Word to conform us into His image. That's where it's all at. And so we need to have the Word of God. So, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we have that desire. We should have that desire to take in the full counsel of God's Word. And then, what would your life look like if you followed the dictates of your heart? What would it look like? Okay, we won't go there. So I don't blame you. But I don't want to go there either. <laughs> and so it says also in verse 10 that they walked with other gods. They worshiped and served them. This is how far they had gotten. And this is what happens when we neglect God's word. Other things become prioritized. In my own life, I have to be in his word for myself. Not just as a pastor, but as a, as a child of God, as a Christian. I want to have my life. I want to know the direction he has for me. I don't want, I don't want to steer my, my life. You know, when I came to Christ, 30 years ago, and I met him at the Anaheim Convention Center, and he, he took my life. I said, you know what? If you take my life, you get it all, but I'll guarantee you it's a mess. I don't want to take the, the helm back. Because when you do, and when I do, I make a mess out of things. And you probably do the same. But we, when we stop talking about God, when we stop taking his word into our lives, when we're stopping so serious about the conforming that he wants to do in our lives, that's when we begin to quench the Holy Spirit. I don't want to do that. We shouldn't want to do that. You see, I'm not saying that if you miss a day of reading, you're doomed. And you're like, oh, now you're doomed. That's not what I'm saying. But we need the nutrition of his word as a nutritional part of our lives, a spiritual nutrition, to have his word in our lives so that we can be changed. And because of what they had done, Judah, they would be like that sash that would be, you know, they wouldn't be of any value to anybody. Verse 10 actually repeats verse 7. Without God in their lives, by replacing him with all these idols and these other gods, they, would, they wouldn't have anything to offer. And look at verse 11. It says, Whereas the sash clings to, my waist of a, uh, clings to the waist of a man, so I cause a whole count of the whole house of Israel and the whole uh, house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people. This is truly his desire. For renown, for praise, for and for glory, but they would not hear. You see, God had different intentions for Judah than what they had for themselves. He has his best in store, not, not our best. You know, when I think of what I want, it would probably, if I made a top 10 things that I would want, I don't know if any of them would make God's list. <laughs> Maybe they, a couple of them might. I'm sure may, I might have a pretty good chance, a couple of them making but but God had such a desire for them that, and for you and I, same thing, that he wants us to live in this manner. He wants to cling to him, to long to him, you know, just long, just hang out with him. And, and his desire for them, just like his desire for us, is that we would cling to him and we would hang out with him. I don't want to go anywhere. I mean, the Bible tells us that nobody can snatch us out of his hand. That I'm thankful for. John 10, 28, the good shepherd. 
But we also have to have a desire. There's a responsibility on our part. And we'll see this in the end. We have a responsibility. And he has, you know, when you think about backsliding, God has zero interest in seeing people backslide. It's not in his heart. He doesn't think, well, I'm tired of you. You've done this so long. Now I'm not, you're out of here for a while. You go out in the backslid. Well, he doesn't do that. He doesn't. He doesn't desire that any of us would do that, but that we would cling to him, even through temptations, through times of temptations, that we would just cling on to him. Say, God, how he needs you. Oh, Lord, I need you. And so he, he goes on and just cling on. And, and as long as the sash remained around, you know, his waist, it occupied his position of what he says, of renown and praise and honor. And again, zero interest in, in people backsliding. I mean, he sent his son to die for the sins of the world, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so he, he desires to have that fellowship. He made it the only way possible for mankind to be saved, right? And so when, when he makes that avenue there and then we, we muck up the system, he doesn't say, oh, now I'm going to have you jump through these hoops. No, it's by that same, by the cross, through repentance that we come to him and we, we, we continue to walk with him and have fellowship with him. But the, the, the problem here is they would not hear it. Judah just wasn't going to hear it. And so Jeremiah here is, he's told to give another parable. It's of the wine bottles in verse 12. He says, therefore, because they wouldn't cling to me and listen to his word, you shall speak to them this word. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, every bottle shall be filled with wine. And they shall say to you, do we not certainly know that every bottle will be filled with wine? Oh, no, of course. So the, the answer to the question is, of course, every bottle's filled with wine. It's the obvious thing. But then Jeremiah, he was to drive the point home. Look at verse 13. Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will fill all the inhabitants of this land, even the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with drunkenness. And I will dash them one against another, even the fathers and the sons together, says the Lord. I will not pity nor spare nor have mercy, but will destroy them. And so these empty jars represented all who lived in the land, including the leaders and the people of Judah. And God would fill them with wine, but he says, I'm going to fill them with a drunkenness. A drunkenness is a, it's a, uh, a symbol of judgment. And he would... He would uh, then smash the people like jars saying, you know what? You're not going to be profitable to anybody and you're not going to prohibit me from doing what I say that you're doing. This is just the way it's going to be. Uh, you're not going to prohibit me from destroying you. These things will come to pass. It's a sad scene. Because again, the Lord wanted to have a rich relationship. You got to remember in time of this, you know, people have said, well, the God of the Old Testament, there's a God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament, judge, judge, judge. The God of the New Testament is grace. And, and no, no, no. God's desire is fellowship. His desire was for people always to come to him. Same God, Old Testament, New Testament. Same message. It's by his grace right now. We're saved by grace. And so his, his desire is that we'd have fellowship with him. But in reality, they had traded him in for what? Think about that. A life of idol worship. A life of idols that would fall down, that they had to prop up or nail up, screw to the floor. Instead of having a rich relationship with God, this is what they had turned their, their lives into. It's a sad scene. But in reality, God has his heart 
far greater than any pastor, leader, prophet of Jeremiah or any of these people to come and say, you know what, you may be there and you may be directing, you know, your life in a certain way, but I have a desire that you come to me. It's still his heart. In this case, it's not going to look too good. In the case of Judah, they weren't, they weren't listening. And you and I, when you think about vessels, you think about the vessels that we are today. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to be vessels that God can fill with His Spirit that He says, you know what, I want to have my signature on, upon you. And we'll see that in Jeremiah chapter 18 again when we look at the potter and the, and the, and the clay. Um, we're not to be drunk we're not to be inebriated in any way that would keep us from being alert from what's he, what he wants to accomplish or what he's trying to share with us in our lives. No, nothing, nothing like that. Warren Wearsby reminds us of Paul using this image of drunkenness, even in the New Testament, to admonish the church to be ready for the Lord's return. Remember in 1 Thessalonians, we just went through this a few weeks back. Chapter 5, he said, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, he's writing to the church, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. For when they say, again, they, the peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light, sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, and drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of hope and love, and as a helmet of, of hope, helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort one another and edify one another just as you are also doing. And so, you know, that encouragement that it's, you know, we're, we're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to be walking with Him. We're to be alert. And there's no alertness going on in the world today. I mean, there's a lot of blindness going on in the world today. So you and I are to be alert and we can, Lord willing, save people or at least tell them about, hey, there's a better way. There's the only way or the better way, the best way. And it's through Jesus. You don't have to live your life in anger. You don't have to live your life in sin without any hope. There is hope. And so the people and the religious leader here in Jeremiah's day may have been thinking that everything was good. You know, we're just going about life. We're living our life. But in reality, what God was telling them through the prophet is there's going to be consequences of their from their decisions. And I think of the thing today, as we live today, you know, as Christians. What are you a Christian? You're a hater, right? I mean, pretty much, if you're going to stand up for truth, if you're going to stand up for Christ, even speaking the truth in love, even being gentle, but you want to tell people the truth in love. And then look at the call to respond. Look at verse 15. Hear and give ear. Do not be proud. For the Lord has spoken. They needed to, like any of us, they needed to humble themselves. You know, and I think about that when he says, heed or hear and give ear do not be proud for the lord has spoken for anybody that's gone any depth away from the lord they need to hear 
And this is what we've been praying, and I hope that you've been praying for that as well. If you've been coming on Wednesday nights, you've been knowing that we've been praying for backsliders. We've been praying for those to, to, to have that, you know, those who have drifted from the Lord to, to just hear, hear his call to come back, come back and walk with him. That's what Judah had done. They have drifted far away, but we see the Lord still trying to get their attention. So he says, for the Lord has spoken, give glory to the, to the Lord your God. Uh, before he, he causes darkness. And before you see, uh, before your feet stumble on the dark mountains, and while you are looking for light, he turns it, turns it into the shadow of death and makes it dense darkness. So he's saying, don't be ignorant and hard-hearted. Rather, listen to that still small voice. Just stay for a minute. you got to mix faith with that. you got to get faith back in your life, you know. And know that he is God. Know that he loves you. Know that he cares for you. And so many that have gotten far away, like we see Judah have, they've gotten far away from uh, the Lord. They feel like they can't come back. Again, as I mentioned earlier, they feel like they, the Lord won't accept them, the church won't accept them. And, and quite frankly, there are some true cases that the church has been rather damning, if I can use the word, when people will not, when they repent, they don't want to have them back. Because they maybe put a mark on their ministry or whatever it is, a mark on their church. Listen, we're to be forgiving and loving and caring, just as Christ is with us. And and here we have this thing to where, you know, they're not coming back. And God tells them, stop being proud. Stop being proud. It's the pride that keeps people away. You know, my prayer is that we as a church, that you know, we would share with those. And not only pray, but we would share with those who are backslidden. I think since we've been praying, since we started Jeremiah, I've had the opportunity to pray with people who have backslidden, right? It's, it's a really cool thing. And so I'm kind of sensing what God is, is speaking, at least to my heart, and I kind of convey it out to you guys, that there are people out there that need to come back to Jesus, right? But we need to be their hope. We have the message. That, and then they're so in their minds, so worried about, I can never come back. I'm going to be embarrassed. It ain't going to look good. And they got a list of excuses. And then, you know, just to remind them, listen, when you repent of your sin, this is great. And that's what the Lord wants. And then we're to learn daily to lay our lives down. But when we see those people come back to, they've come back repenting. Not just back to church, but they come back repenting. That's what you want to see. That's what we want to see. And, and, and if anybody's with me, I'm praying for revival. I want to see revival. I mean, I want to see the, the dark areas in our country, which the Northwest, just become on fire for Jesus. As the churches just come back to teaching his word, that people would have a hunger for God and a hunger for his word. I mean, we offer, you know, we we have a lot to offer for the, the those who are backslidden. We have a lot to offer those who are walked away from God. We because we have it. We have Him, and we have His Word, and His Word has the power to change and a power power to set free. So I love about the most excellent way. How many steps is that? One, the <laughs> one step. Well, how many? How many? Just one. What do you mean? It's Jesus. That's what it's all about, right? It's about Jesus Christ. Look at verse seventeen. But He says, "If you will not hear it, my soul will." will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Here's the weeping of not only God's heart, you see it in Jeremiah, but he gets it from the heart of God. I mean, he weeps. Sunday we'll see from the foundations of the earth that he loved us and called us into salvation. It's just so incredible. 
And you think, if he knew me from the foundations, from the very beginning, knew you, had his mind and plan, sent his son to die for you from the beginning of time, he had this in, this in mind, the only way it's going to work. And then we come to him, and we think of the thing that he's doing, it causes him to weep to see people just to, to have walked with him, have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I've just gotten something in their crawl, something that just says, you know, I don't need him anymore. I mean, you think of the worship leaders and the, and the guys who've written these books out, you know, now they've come out and you say, kiss dating goodbye. Now he's kissed Christianity goodbye. I mean, these are things that are going on in the world today. Something has popped up. Something has become more important. And, and listen, because these guys have backslidden, they refuse to listen to the Lord. The Lord is still saying, look, i got a plan. I still am the only way. I still am the only the, the, the life. I still am it. I'm still in the one. The way, the truth, and the life. No, you're not going to find any other avenue for peace, safety, and salvation. It's not going to happen. And so, there's never a joyous time to see people backsliding. Nonetheless, when you called by the Lord to confront them and go to them. But I tell you what, when you can take to such an empty heart the reminder of what fills it. The only thing that will fill in is that relationship with Jesus Christ. It makes it a lot better. Look at verse 18. Say to the king and the queen mother, this is probably referring to King uh, Jehoiachin, uh, also known as uh, Jeconiah, and the queen mother of Natushta, the widow of uh, Jehoiakim. So Jeremiah exhorts them. He says, uh, you know what? You need to humble yourself. Sit down. For your rule shall collapse the crown of your glory. See, it doesn't matter how confident they thought they were. It doesn't matter how strong they felt with everything around them. They, what God was telling you is, I'm in control. You need to humble yourself. And you need to do that really quick. And I will humble the prideful. And I think of everything that mankind has to offer and everything that we stand upon. We look at the nations out there. You know, you get these these guys, missiles that can travel the speed of light and they can carry, you know, um, weaponry on them and, and all these. It's just crazy how fast this world can be destroyed. And I see the restrainer just holding it together. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen yet. But in all of these things, you know, every kingdom seems, seems impenetrable or standing up with their chest out, kings and leaders. And, and really what, what it is is the Lord's going to topple them. The Lord's the one in control. He's going to be in charge. In 597 BC, listen to this, only a couple of months after. So here you have a king, Jehoiachin, comes into the reign in a couple of months. So every new king, like every new pastor, like every new leader wants to see change. I mean, you're right. We started the church. I think I'm going to save the world. Oh, boy, that was long. I mean, you know, I had 18 years ago. I thought, well, everybody's going to get saved. They got to hear this message, you know. And people said, oh, you're just a fool. And you hear the stories. But but here's the thing. Here this guy comes onto the scene in a couple of months in 597 BC. He comes on the scene and, and he steps up to the plate and he wants to see change. And God is saying, you need to humble yourself. Because only the only change that's going to come is not going to be through a political leader. It's not going to be through a president. It's not going to be through a world leader or anything like that. It's only going to come when we come back to putting God first. It's the only way. The reform of jo- jo- Josiah, 
It's a good idea, but you can't make it happen. You've got to allow, you've got to want that. You've got to put God first. And, and listen, if we want to see change come in our day, then we too need to put Jesus and the Bible back in our public meetings, in our schools, in our laws, in our courtroom, and so forth. We need his wisdom. I mean, we need his wisdom. God has no problem identifying gender. We don't have to spend thousands of dollars changing signs to say anybody can walk in here, whatever it is, X, Y, Z, and all this other stuff. Look, at he has no problem with that. And we need to go to him. And listen, for your rule shall collapse in your crown, the crown of your glory. There's not a, a ruler that's going to stand, no matter how big, a two million man army, as the Bible speaks about in the last days. It's not going to stand up against the Lord. And so we see, listen to what happens with, uh, what it says if they don't take heed. In verse 19, the cities of the south shall be shut up, and no one shall open them. Judah shall be carried away captive, all of it. And it shall be wholly carried away captive. This king, Jehoiachin, was given this chance. It may have been a very late, last-minute chance, because, like I said, maybe only a couple of months before his, as his kingdom starts off, as his reign starts off. But he doesn't take advantage of it. And it might be that the Lord is calling someone here, maybe some that are watching, you saying, you know what? You don't have a lot of time. You don't know that. And you may have just started this, but what I want you to do is I want you to listen. I have a plan for your life. And you've got to stop. You've got to humble yourself as he's telling Jehoiachin and, and Hattusha. He's telling him, you know what? I've got a plan. But it comes to humility. And this is why I, I see here in, in Jehoiachin's life, it's so important to respond to the Lord as soon as we hear what God has to say. And instead of taking it home, well, let me think about it. I'll make a deal with God. I'll kind of figure it out. Maybe, well, maybe that wasn't really what he wanted to say. Just be like the Nike ad and just do it. Just respond to God. When we hear God speaking to our hearts, when we hear what he has to say, when we hear that, oh man, that was for me, or you know, I'm get up in the morning, that was for me, respond immediately. Look at Jehoiachin didn't have a lot of time. He didn't know that. But here it shows us that when God speaks and he says, humble yourself, don't delay. We can't go wrong by coming to Jesus or coming back to Jesus today. Don't be like the king and the the queen and be warned and pondered too long. I don't know how much time we have. I don't I, I don't know how much time we have. I mean, I have my niece who is, uh, she has brain cancer. She's younger than I am. And I love her to death. And I can see what's happening in her heart. And she just wants to see people and make things right. And you're seeing that. And, and look, you and I aren't given how many days we're going to live. And we need to constantly be working on this, making it right. And so, you know, I think of how much time do we have? I don't know. Jesus is coming. Why don't you ask him? He's not going to tell you because he doesn't know. But we're not, you know, my prayer is that we would serve endlessly inviting others to come to Jesus. Whether they're backslidden or they're unsaved, that we would serve endlessly with that. And if you find it difficult, you know, there's some cards out there. You can invite them to church. Listen, come to church. Your cards, they're free. You don't have to pay for them. Come out. I encourage you. Now look at verse 20. It says, lift up your eyes and see those who come from the north. And again, he's talking about the Babylonians. And, and, and again, I think this is kind of where Jeremiah buried that sash is up towards the north in, Babylonian, in uh, Babylonia. But regardless to say, it, it, it makes life 
the Babylonians, the north. And I think of times of looking at the Babylonians. Remember Isaiah, he reminded Judah, King Hezekiah. And he said to him, you know what? You shouldn't try and align yourselves with the Babylonians. And he tried to do that. Remember he was granted 15 more years. And then when the guests come down, he showed them all that he had had. He was kind of prideful in his way. All the visitors, look at all that I accomplished. God warned him through Isaiah that they're going to be, you're going to be their taskmaster. He's going to be over you and you're going to be regretting it. He says, you shall, he told them, Isaiah told them this, Isaiah 39 says, you shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. So not a good way to spend your last days, right? Aligning yourself and making friendships with the world. It wasn't going to work then, aligning yourself with the uh, enemy, and it's not going to work now. Look at verse 20 as we continue. It says, Where's your flock that was given to you, your beautiful sheep? What will you say when he punishes you? This, listen, when he punishes you, the, the Lord is, Jeremiah is saying, he's going to do this. I've, I've heard the Lord, I've read his word, I've heard the Lord, he's given, he should come through every time. And this is what Jeremiah says, he says, he's getting this from the Lord, he says, what will you say when he punishes you? For you have taught them to be chieftains, to be head over you, Will not pangs seize you like a, like a woman in labor? And if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me? For the greatness of your iniquity, your skirts have been uncovered. They were vulnerable uh, and your heels made bare. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard's his spots that you also do good? Uh, then may you also do good uh, who are accustomed to do evil. Two things here. The punishment they brought upon themselves. And now they're asking why. Don't even ask in your heart why. Don't even go there, he says. You know why. I mean, it's interesting. The Lord here says it's because of their greatness of their iniquity. He doesn't get a kick out of punishing them. He doesn't get a kick out of chasing, chastening people just because he has nothing better to do. They have brought this upon themselves because of their own actions. And he says, again, he says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or leopards his spot? Well, the, the answer is obviously no on all, all accounts. But what this speaks of is it speaks of can man change his nature by himself? Can he? No. Remember that? Anybody try and do better? <laughs> Comes hard. You might be able to do a little better, but you can't be changed in the way that you feel you want to be changed. You and I are sinners. We can do nothing about that. Even Judah in this place, they backslid and, and the Lord is telling them, look, you can't change the way you are. Right? None of us can. I can't. I've got to go to the Lord. And, and the, the, the change comes only through God. It's through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and if there was any other possible way, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Matter of fact, remember, when he was in the garden, he says, um, in Mark 14, it records, he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible, remember he said, he's going to the cross, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba Father, all things are possible for you, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. That's my desire. You know why? Because there was no other way. There was no way that man could get good enough. We might be coming up and becoming so educated that we can turn these little things. <laughs> I just plugged in our outlets into the wall. And you plug in a lamp into the wall. And you say, what's your name? 
Alexa, turn on the light. Boom, the light goes on. And then I unplug Alexa and I put on my iPhone instead because I can't stand her. That's how fascinating things are nowadays. Why do we have everything at our fingertips? My son, he says, Dad, you can plug that in and put your coffee, new coffee mug maker. It keeps your your coffee at the desired temperature in the morning. That's pretty cool. Hey, coffee pot, turn whatever heater, turn on. Boom, it turns on whenever I want it to. Five o'clock in the morning. He talks to his phone and says, hey, uh, Alexa, make me coffee or whoever. I don't know his friend who his mate is. Uh, make me coffee. And the coffee starts making. That's pretty incredible. We can do a lot of things, right? But we can't take care of our sin problem. There's no way. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? You just can't do it. There is no way that you can do it. And then what can wash away her sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So judgment was coming from the north. They needed to respond, but they weren't. And it was going to hit them so fast, it was going to leave their heads spinning. Look at verse 24. Therefore, I will scatter them like stubble that passes away by the wind in the wilderness uh, of the wilderness. This is your lot. The portion of your measure from me, says the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehoods. They have forgotten them. They have forgotten them. I mean, think about this. Was it because... His good grace wasn't good enough? His mercy wasn't rich enough? His provision wasn't providing enough? Was it because, why, why? Why? Why would they forget him? Why would any of us want to forget him? Why would we go that route? Is he not good enough? And then it says that he, you know, there's a common question that the Lord would ask the, the backside Judah, he asked him, he's, he, we've already seen it a couple times. He would ask him this, what have I done to you? I mean, there you go. You're out wandering, meandering around. What have I done to you? What have I done to you? Am I not good enough to surrender? And then it says at the end of verse 25, it says, and they trusted in falsehoods. So it's important to keep in mind that they had everything they needed to grow in this rich relationship with the, with the Lord. They had his word. Covenant, presence, direction, provision, and yet they traded him in for something that comes with, you know, instructions. <laughs> like, like nail this thing to the floor and water it, or whatever the case may be, you know, whatever their God was. Idols for falsehoods. Everything else. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other truth. There's no other way. Yeah, they're turning this in. Falsehoods. Nothing else would ever give them what he had to offer to them. Nothing else could ever satisfy the way he wanted to satisfy them and to nurture them and to nourish them. And then in verse 26, their actions was to their shame. He says, therefore, I will uncover your your skirt, uh, I will uncover your skirt over your face. This is their shame. They refuse to humble themselves that your shame may appear. I have seen your adulteries and your lustful neighing. This neighing is like, a horse in heat. They're playing the harlot. He said, the lewdness of your harlotry, your abominations of the hills of the field. Woe to you, O Jerusalem. Who uh, will you still not uh, be made clean? And you know, I, I thought about this. I thought, I didn't bring this up to New Year's message. Usually sometimes I'll give a prophecy update. Sometimes we'll have fun. How do you bring this up to be a bummer to start your new year? But, but, but truly, rather than seeing the depth of their sin that they're in, 
the very thing that's meeting them there is the grace of God. So yes, we see that this, you know, they're, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad. But then you have the grace of God, right? That is willing to just bring them back. And I think of that with, with our year and with the message that we have, the message that Jesus Christ is, is may our year be filled not with running from him, but running to him. May our heart be that it is about, you know, what does he have for me? What do I want to have done in my life that, or what does he want to have done in my life? What does he have to offer? And that we receive it rather than all the false things that the world has to offer out there. I mean, I really want, what is it that you have, Lord? And, and what, what is it that you have to offer? And so that may our year be filled with that. I mean, we look at this and go, that's a pretty bummer. Oh, you have a great message to start the new year off with. But, but the grace extends past their sin. And it meets them right where they need to be met. And may we allow the Lord to conform us further into his image with every part of our beings. Say, Lord, take control. May we allow him to lead us wherever it is that he desires to lead us. And then look at verse 1, chapter 14. We'll briefly run through this. There becomes a drought and a prayer. In verse 1, it says, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns and her gates languish. They mourn for the land and the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. Their nobles have sent their lads for water. They went to the cisterns and found no water. Uh, they returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. Because the ground is parched and there was no rain in the land, the plowmen uh, were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yes, the deer also gave birth in the field, but left because there was no grass. And the wild donkeys stood uh, in the desolate heights. They sniffed at the winds like jackals, and their eyes failed because there was no grass. One of the covenant curses that the Lord had shared with um, Israel was that your disobedience will bring a drought. And they're seeing it. This is what they're seeing right here. Because they had no water, which is very essential for every aspect of life, they began to cry out in distress to the Lord. I mean, you know, you go through times where you're just parched. You can't get nothing in you. This is what they're going through. They had no water. They had no fresh water. They had no water stored in the cisterns. Imagine going and saying, well, listen, I know the rivers aren't running. I know the pond looks dry, but go down to the cisterns because thousands of gallons of water down there. And all you do is you go down there and you scoop up what's on the bottom and you get mosquitoes and moss and whatever else is growing in there. I mean, it's not, not, not healthy for anything. What a bummer. I mean, the servants come back and their jars are empty. Let me remind you of what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. The Lord had already shared with them, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, uh, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. And so they've already rejected him. They rejected the living water. And that now they're seeing what their, uh, their, their physical supply, the water supply, is matching their spiritual water supply. I mean, this is what they've turned to. So your your life spiritually is about as dry as your cisterns. You got bugs and you got larma, whatever else would be packed away in there. That's what your spiritual life looks like. What a bummer. Because he's already told them, listen, you've walked away from living water to find this water that is all around and is just sitting there becoming stagnant. And the drought 
It's going to affect every part of your lives, including their cattle, their crops, their physical being, every part of them. It's going to affect them. You think about that. Here's the people that had so much. Like I said, they had a covenant with God. They had his word, his presence, his promises, all these things. And they exchanged the living water for emptiness. The living water to be fresh, to have that fresh life with Christ. For you and I, the living water is the power of the Holy Spirit. And no matter what we go through, that we have God's Spirit. He's saying, listen, that living water is what I, I want you to drink from the cisterns of the world. But I have fresh and living water. You know, when, when you think about your life and how enjoyable it is, how it can be in Christ with his power, it's incredible. And so look at this. They have this cry for help. Okay, so I'm empty. I can't find any water. Look at verse 7. It says, Oh Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake. For our, backsliding are, our backslidings are many, and we have sinned against you. Oh, the hope of Israel, his Savior in time of trouble. Remember, what they're saying is, Hey Lord, remember us? Remember us? Why should you be like a stranger in the land and like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? And they were more than a night that they turn away. Verse 9, why should you be like a man astonished, like a mighty one who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in our midst, and yet we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Here is a typical cry for help, right? They didn't like what they're going through. They didn't like being uncomfortable. They didn't like not having everything given to them. And though people will find themselves having lost the many blessings that would come with walking with the Lord, they oftentimes they'll remember something. This is interesting. And they'll start misquoting scripture. Oh, the Lord wasn't there. The Lord would do that. Or I, uh, the Lord said this. And they want to misquote quote scripture. And they try and tell them like Judah saying, Here, oh, the hope of Israel, you know, a savior in time of trouble. You're our savior. You're going to do this. You're going and yet, their cry is there, but they never repent. You see, there's that key. You know how bad you are, but they never want to repent of it. And God is telling them, you know, the deal is repentance that brings godliness. We'll never, the Bible says that we'll never be ashamed or let down through repentance. What a great, what a great gift that is. That the God of heaven says, you know what? I know you're, you remember the, the letters to the church of Revelation. Uh, all the churches, the seven churches, he says, I know your ways. But then he often says this, he says, but come to me, repent of your ways. It's so hard, just calling out, like, come on. I know what you've done, come, repent. And so you have this typical cry, but you don't have any repentance mixed in it. This typical thing that says, you know what, bah humbug, I don't like my life the way it is, and you're God, so do something about it. Look at Repentance. You see, God's not there for us to demand. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not just saying to where we'll, you know, pop this thing while we're wallowing in our sin and expect God to bless us. They said, do not leave us. He hasn't left. He never left them, just like he never leaves us. But when we find ourselves in that place, or backsliders will find themselves in that place because they're not listening, it's they that have moved. God has never moved. Look at the Lord's response in verse 10. Thus says the Lord to his people, Thus they have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will remember their iniquity now and punish their sins. Again, he wouldn't accept them 
the way they are because they wouldn't turn away from where they were. They knew where they needed to go, but they just wouldn't do it. You see, I think a lot of that in our life today, for those who have fallen back, is they have to, once again, <clears throat> they've kind of extinguished the faith. Not only the power of the Holy Spirit, kind of they quenched the, the Holy Spirit, but they have to have faith. We have to have faith, trusting God. Is God going to forgive me? Some of you guys know that you've been hurt real bad. By a husband or a wife, by somebody in the church, somebody, you know, relative, they've hurt you really bad. And you have trouble trusting again. Well, they really love me the way they are, the way they say. But it's just like God. We go to him and some people are like, you know, I want to come back to him, but I just don't think he's going to love me the way I need him to love me and all this stuff. And see, in reality, they wouldn't turn from their sin, not because they didn't love him, not because he didn't love them, but because he wasn't going to bless their mess. He wasn't going to just bless their, their mess. Their claim was to him, but their response was only superficial. Look at verse 11. Then the Lord said to me, do not pray for this people for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. And, and when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Now, Jeremiah is told this by the Lord. And, and you might think, oh, that's pretty sour. No, no, no. Listen. The Lord knows their heart. He knows their heart, and they needed to get right with him, but it wasn't going to be by doing things. Again, the one step is through repentance. He didn't want Jeremiah to pray blessing upon them as they're living their life in sin. So he wasn't saying, you know, just let them live the way they're living. This drought is going to come. And all of a sudden they want to cry out to me, oh, Lord, bless them. They're crying out to you. And God says, I know their heart. Oh, their lips are with me. Their hearts are far from me. And so don't pray, pray a blessing upon them and make sure that you're, you know, that you're, you're not blessing them in a sense. Don't enable them. Jeremiah was going to have to speak the truth in love. Verse 13, he says, Then I said, O Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor, you shall not see the sword, no, nor shall, um, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you an assured peace in this place. So there was a problem. Jeremiah says the prophets are saying to them that they're not going to see these things come upon them, but they were obviously listening to false prophets. Here's the Lord's reply in verse 14. And the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you false visions, divinations, and worthless, worthless things. And the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, uh, the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send, and who say, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By the sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. And the people uh, to whom these, uh, whom they prophesy shall be cast, uh, cast out into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword. And they will have no one to bury them. Them, no, their wives, their sons, or their daughters. I will pour out their wicked, their wickedness upon them. Listen, the Lord desires to have people who have backslidden to come back to Him, but once again, His ways. They wanted to follow Him and His ways. The only way that comes is through repentance. Look what I can do. Look, I'll try and read more. I'll try and pray more. I'll try and make it a church more. I'll try and give more. I'll try and and that's you. That's, that's us trying to make it better. God says, just repent. And then let's close. Look at verse 17. He says, therefore you shall say, 
this word of them. Let my eyes flow their tears. Uh, let my eyes flow with tears day and night. Let them uh, not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people uh, has broken with a mighty stroke and with a very severe blow. If I go out to the field, then behold, those slain with the sword. And if I enter the city, then behold, those sick from famine. Yes, both prophet and priest go about in a land they do not know. And Jeremiah is really feeling this heaviness. And because he's going to see Jerusalem fall in verse 19, he says, Have you utterly rejected Judah? Has your soul loathed Zion? Why have you stricken us so that there is no healing for us? And we look for peace, but there was no good. Uh, but there was no good, and for the time of healing, and there was trouble. We acknowledge the Lord our wickedness and the wickedness of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not abhor us for your name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. Are there any among the idols of the nations that we can uh, that can cause rain? Or, or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait for you, since you have made all these. The people once again cry out for help. They seem to be puzzled as to why the Lord would put them through this. I mean, after all, we have all of these promises from you. We have everything from you. Listen, they gotten caught up in bad teaching. They didn't check things out for themselves. They just took it and they ran with it. They got their ears tickled. And their desire changed. Their hearts grew cold towards the things of the Lord. Now they're wondering why. One writer mentioned this. And I think it's so fitting. He says, the people were, qu were quick to remind God of his obligation to the nation, but failed to remember their own obligation to him. Isn't that true? What is it that we learn through all this? I'm going to have Gabe come up and he's going to lead us in, in a song as we're going to take communion tonight. See, we wandered away. We can't and shouldn't respond to God with anything other than true, humble repentance. That's what he desires. He'll pour out his grace on the humble, but he'll resist the proud. And, and, and not only for hearing that, but the message that we, I think is so important to take to the church today. That the church would hear that God wants them to come back to him, but it's got to come through repentance. We can't do enough good. And that's the problem because people know they're going to fail again. Anybody fail today? Huh, right? There's some of you. Well, that's good. You haven't broken that, that resolution yet. <laughs> I'm going to live this world. I'm going to live a year without sinning. Huh, you sinned. You know, but, but isn't it true, though, that we're going to fail and I'm so thankful for the grace of God? Right? Where would I go? Where would we go? And God's grace is so important. And that's the message that the world needs to hear. The, the church, the backslidden out there, they need to hear that. I mean, yes, they, we need to be serious about our life with Christ, but we need to hear that message that, man, God loves us and he cares for us. And to tell the rapture, pray that they come home. They come. And any of us here tonight that just have that desire to say, Lord, I've been trying. I don't want to try this year. I want to just come to you. Be freed up. Be freed up. Don't carry around that burden of trying, having to do, having to get this done or that done. Just come to him and be freed up and lay your burdens at his feet. So as we take communion, where you guys can come up and you guys can partake of the elements, I just encourage you to do this.
thank God. Thank God for the grace that He's given to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Take the elements back to your seat. Thank God for one another. We've been doing this on Wednesdays. It's just thank God for one another. You go to somebody and thank, thank you that you're here. If you need prayer, Ray and I will be up here. John will be up here. Rick will be up here. Our elders will be up here. Stop by and just pray with them. Let's just seek the Lord. And let's just live a life that is not so burdened and squashed and put under the religion religious bondage. Be freed up by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.